Today's scripture is from Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood self-condemned. For until certain people came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But after they came, he drew back and kept himself separate for fear of the circumcision faction. And the other Jews joined him into this hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ, so that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by doing the works of the law, because no one will be justified by the works of the law. But if, in our effort to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. But if I build up again the very things that I once tore down, then I demonstrate that I am a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to the God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Thanks, Greg. So last week we started this series on Galatians, a letter from Paul to a group of churches that he started when he was stuck there uh, after an illness or during an illness. And this letter is very passionate. Uh, I should say it's, it's very angry. Paul is filled with indignation. He would say righteous indignation. <laughs> but he is filled with indignation and frustrated and angry. And he pens this very angry letter. And his anger stems from the fact that someone from Jerusalem was sent there by James, who is the head of the church in Jerusalem, sent them down to Galatia, which are Greek people. They're not, they weren't Jewish, they were Greek. They were worshiping Greek gods and all that until Paul came along and introduced them to life in Christ and uh, shared with them the gospel of grace from God through Christ, through the faithfulness of Christ. And in fact, I will say, there's a debate about the translation of one word in the text we're reading today. And, and it's a debate that's gone on for many years. Uh, and I won't bore you with a lot of the Greek parsing, but it has to do with whether, it, whether the word of, that we translate of or in, is subjective genitive or objective genitive. And there's arguments on both sides. But there's a debate about whether Paul says in here that justification comes through faith of Christ or faith in Christ. Now you can see that 
No, most of these translation issues don't really make a big theological difference, but this one really does, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, it, it really poses a theological, theological uh, issue. Whether it is Jesus' faithfulness that justifies us or our faith in Christ that justifies us really depends on who's translating that particular text. Uh, and hopefully your Bible that you have at home has one way and then has a little note at the bottom that says some translators think this should be read this way. Right? It gives you both to choose from. Let you choose. <laughs> uh, however, uh, Paul is making the case that it is either Jesus' faithfulness and our, our faith in Christ that justifies us. Suffice it to say, it's not, the, it's not adherence to the old laws. And he makes his case. He's so frustrated. You can hear it in his voice as he writes this letter. I am, that he is so frustrated. In fact, he, he switches from... He's telling them how he came to be uh, sharing this gospel. That he... And I told you last week. He heard, it was not a gospel uh, uh, that was created by any man, but came to him straight from God. God's self from Jesus Christ. He didn't, he didn't go and ask anybody. He didn't get taught by anybody. He started preaching the gospel that he got from Jesus Christ. And then after a while, he went and met with Cephas. If you don't know, that's, that's Peter. That's what Paul's name for Peter. Uh, he goes and meets with Peter. And then he goes away for 14 years. And that's where we pick up this letter. And then he comes back to Jerusalem and he meets with all the biggies, all the big guys. He meets with Peter. He meets with James of the Jerusalem church. He meets with John. And they, he tells them, he says, this is what I'm preaching. And he's actually looking for their endorsement. This is what I'm preaching to the Gentiles. And what he tells us in Galatians is that they did not add one word to it. said, that's great. Go preach to the Gentiles. And they shook his hand and Barnabas's hands and they treated them as equals. In other words, his apostleship was confirmed by Peter, James, and John as he went up to Jerusalem to confront them. And then later, of course, I, I, I want to point out, this is kind of like hearing one end of the telephone conversation, right? We don't have, we don't have uh, Peter's side of the story uh, about all of this or James's side of the story however we got Paul's side of the story and he's rather irate but uh, he goes and then he's in Antioch which is kind of headquarters for all the missionary efforts there and Peter comes to Antioch and Paul confronts him on his hypocrisy because Peter what used to go and eat with the Gentiles Cornelius, he would eat in Cornelius' house. If you read Acts, you would see that he has this dilemma about whether he should eat with Cornelius or not. And uh, in a dream uh, uh, sheet that has all the animals that used to be unclean on it, drifting down, and God, a voice from heaven says, Do not call unclean that which I have made clean. And from then on, he doesn't have to keep kosher. He goes and he eats with Cornelius and he eats whatever the heck he wants. I imagine Peter had quite an experience. 
lobster and ham, probably a lot of bacon involved, right? After all that, right? He probably went nuts <laughs> and, and really enjoyed this revelation that he had uh, from God and got the benefit of all of those unclean animals were all suddenly clean and, and ready to eat. And he did that. He went and ate with Gentiles and enjoyed their company and, and fellowshiped with them regularly. And then Paul goes about and goes off. And because of the church in Jerusalem objected to that, he capitulated and stopped eating with the Gentiles. And James's church was insisting that Gentile converts get circumcised and observe the feast days and observe the, uh, the, law, the food laws. This frustrated Paul. And he confronted Peter about it and confronted him on his hypocrisy. Why did you capitulate? Why did you give in to this? Because this is life for the Gentiles. And why would you bring all of this burden back onto them when it is of no use, is what he is saying. He's saying the core of what it is to be a follower of Christ does not depend on the food you eat. The core of what it is to be a follower of Christ does not depend on your circumcision or not. In fact, that is meaningless to the Greeks. It's meaningless <laughs> and painful. I, I won't get into it, but you know what an awful thing to require of people. <laughs> painful. And it, the feast days mean nothing. In Romans, Paul concedes, look, if... if Observing the feast days and keeping kosher, I'm paraphrasing, and keeping kosher me, draws you closer to God. If those traditions are meaningful to you, then keep them as long as they don't distract you from the heart of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's what he is arguing for. He is saying, you are distracting these people from the heart of what it is to be followers of Jesus Christ. And oh my Lord, has not the church of Christ done this over the centuries? Have we not created so many distractions? I was thinking about it the other day as I was preparing for this. All the things that used to get you burned at the stake. That we don't even, you know, how, how you know, particular words, whether or not you pray the book of common prayer or not, could get you burned at the stake. During the Reformation. Baptizing people as adults would get you killed during the Anabaptist movement. Really? These seem to me like distractions from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And how many times have we created distractions? What started out as something that drew us closer to God. Something that called us to be a tighter body. Something that, that brought us closer to the holy. Something that stirred up the spirit and it all of a sudden became so sacred it could not change, it could not move. And no one could remember why we did it, but we're doing it anyway. And those are just cosmetic things. Practical things. Little traditions that we can't let go that aren't particularly meaningful anymore, but we still hang on to them. There are some real theological ideas that we really ought to let go too in the world we live in. You know, uh, 
concepts like uh, you know six days of creation and that we have to reject science in order to hear that word that's silly and that's a stumbling block to our relationship with Christ and it is not what the heart of the gospel is about what a luxury to get to major in the minor things and to quibble over little words like whether it's of or in <laughs> to have that time and energy and knowledge to quibble over those little things when what Paul is saying is the heart of the gospel is not about these trivialities it's not about these traditions it's not about everyone everyone being and acting and relating in the same way it is about life in Christ it is about dying to the old self and being born again into a new self it is about rejecting the darkness and embracing the light that Jesus has shown us it is about embracing the idea that we are justified already that we do not need to add one thing to that relationship we enjoy with God through Christ amen and we embrace this eagerly and anxiously and then it seems almost instantly we turn around and want to impose a roadblock on someone else <laughs> well you know I'm justified through Christ but you need to do this or that now, I know that this church doesn't actively do that kind of thing but sometimes we our mentality grabs onto those things and how far how far are we really willing to go and I dare say what I hear in Paul, and it, it's, it's, as I've prepared for the sermon series, I've been, I've been reading Galatians completely new. It's like new things are coming out to me. I've never, I've never understood these things in this way before. I'm exploring all kinds of new understandings here. And what I'm hearing for us today is we, we've got to be so open-minded that it's uncomfortable. <laughs> We've got to be so open to what God can do in our midst if we would let God do it. We've got to be so open to a far-reaching Christianity that it makes us a little uncomfortable. It stretches us so far that we're like, well, that's not how we used to do it, but okay, Lord, if, you know, if, this, is, if this is how... We're gonna we're gonna welcome people into the kingdom. Then, by golly, we'll do it. And I don't know what that's gonna be. I don't know if it's our language. I don't know if it's some of our our theological ideas. I don't know if it's some of our traditions. But we've got to be willing to look at it all through the lens of the gospel, the heart of the gospel that Paul is shouting to the Galatians to not let anyone take away from them but to focus in on what is it that really matters and that is the love of God known through Christ amen let us pray loving God as we hear this this stern word from Paul who is begging us 
Don't put stumbling blocks up for ourselves or for anyone else. And in fact, Christ calls us to tear those obstacles down and to open up our hearts and even allow ourselves to be stretched and challenged and uncomfortable for the Lord and for the kingdom of God. May our eyes be open to how you are calling us to do this in the hope of heaven, in the hope that more and more experience this new life in Christ. That the, the hope that you have put in us and have brought into the world is not dashed away. Especially at a time like this when hopelessness is so much around us. May we indeed be beacons calling your people home. We ask all of these things in the mighty and powerful name of Christ. Amen. I want to invite you to join in singing our closing hymn, number 407. Please stand as we sing.